Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Thursday. It is August 18th, 17th, pardon me. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, we are going to talk about the Aaron Rodgers Clout Chaser Awards for the month of August. Fun little segment that I cooked up. We're also going to talk about what happened at joint practice with the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots. We'll react to the news from that. And then we will talk about the disaster that has been the Milwaukee Brewers against the Los Angeles Dodgers for the last two games. What a clusterfuck that has been. We will get into that later in today's show. Before we get going, reminder, social media, Tapping the Keg, Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We are on threads, but I haven't used it, I think, since its inception. Uh, Also, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, Overcast, Google, Amazon emailed me to get my podcast onto Amazon, so we'll try to get that. I don't know if anyone actually listens on Amazon, but I go where the people might be. Tapping the keg tomorrow, we bumped it back. Uh, kind of waiting on the Brewer Dodger series. Mitch and I have gotten fortunate when we're doing the Wednesday show that usually we have a full week of Brewer content to talk about. Uh, obviously, with it not only being a three-game series in the middle of the week and three nine-ten games, it has inconvenienced us greatly. But we will not be taping after the game like I am currently. I was trying to tell myself I would not do another late-night pod, but I have the day off tomorrow or today, so I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Let's let it rip. Let's let it hang, and we're going to talk about the Aaron Rodgers Clout Chaser Awards. Aaron Rodgers is the most polarizing quarterback in the NFL. There is no question about it. Aaron Rodgers is the biggest, I think, newsmaker in the NFL in terms of a quarterback, maybe as a team, as a player in general, bigger than Patrick Mahomes, bigger than Tom Brady because Tom Brady's no longer playing. And I think Tom Brady was actually higher than Rodgers and higher than Mahomes but because Tom Brady's no longer there, I think Aaron Rodgers moves the needle more than Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is still very exciting. He's the most electrifying football player I think that we have going. But I also think there is a part of Patrick Mahomes that's kind of boring, right? He doesn't say a lot of things to ruffle feathers. He doesn't do things where people can critique him. It feels like when you critique Patrick Mahomes, you're like critiquing your mom's cooking when you come home from from college. Like it's just something you don't do, right? But Aaron Rodgers, it's open season. And I think after all of the COVID stuff, now not granted that that's not a huge part of this, but I think it made him more polarizing. And so I think it made just the conversation around Aaron Rodgers completely change. And then I think with the Pat McAfee exposure, with the New York Jets, now I think Aaron Rodgers is easily the biggest name in football in terms of what gets the people going. What can you roll out on first take and get up every goddamn day? Aaron Rodgers and the Dallas Cowboys. So I think you vacillate between the two. Sometimes you do both, but it's always going to be something about Aaron Rodgers or something about the Dallas Cowboys. There are certain quarterbacks that just do not move the needle in the same way that Rodgers does. Yeah, they might talk about Justin Herbert. Yeah, they might talk about Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they do mention Justin Fields, Jared Goff, but they are not at the, they're not even sniffing in Aaron Rodgers tier in terms of guys you talk about. So that's not surprising to have people trying to embed themselves into the Aaron Rodgers storyline. Everyone wants to be 
a part of that Aaron Rodgers storyline. They want they want to be that ensemble cast. They want to they want to be in Oppenheimer, right? They want to have a bit role. They want to be a Safety brother in Oppenheimer or some bullshit like that. That's kind of what people are doing, you know, and have done for a long time. And and I'll be honest, I'm guilty as charged, right? If I'm on TikTok, Cabin Keg Sports, if you don't follow, like I'll roll out a, a cap cut with something around Aaron Rodgers and I know I'm going to get views. I know I'm going to get in- engagement on it because that's what gets the people going. So it's not a surprise that other people have taken to this. So I've come up with the Aaron Rodgers Clout Chaser Awards. Because I feel like everybody right now is chasing that sweet, sweet clout of Aaron Rodgers. And it seems like it has gotten worse instead of better. And I think this is only the beginning. I think if Aaron Rodgers starts out hot or even cold, I think either way, uh, there's going to be so many outrageous fucking takes about Rodgers. And in the... Ones with he goes 0-2 or they're 1-3 will be way worse than if they go 3-1, 4-1. I am more on the side of the former, and you might call me a hater on that. But man, I, I don't know what it is about Robert Sala, but I just do not like his energy. Like, I know I sound like a Gen Z chick right now, but I, there's something about Robert Sala I just don't like. Like when he was, and maybe it's because I'm an offensive lineman and he was ripping the offensive line in the last episode of Hard Knocks. But the guy like just tries to say fuck all the time, tries to like force it in. It doesn't feel natural. Like some people just can naturally say the word fuck. Other people can't. Robert Salah is on that list of people who can't. It seems like he's like, oh man, I'm Robert Salah, I have a bald head. But I just, I don't know, man. Like he just gives off an interesting vibe. I, and when I say interesting, I don't mean that as a compliment. And his defensive coordinator seems like a just another version of him, just with a beard. Like I think that's the only difference. He's a white guy with a beard, but they're basically the same guy. They're just two big meatheads trying to coach football. So I don't know. I just I don't know if that's winning. That's a winning coach mentality. Uh, I we'll we'll have to see. But back to the point about Aaron Rodgers. I think there's going to be just so many takes, man. And it's going to be outrageous. It will be out of control from the get-go. The fact that he plays on Monday night and anyone who plays on Monday night, you are the A block on Tuesday. No matter if you're a bad, even if you're a bad team, right? Even if you're not, you know, at, at the top level. Now, Jets and Bills are considered, you know, Super Bowl contenders, considered the top, you know, contenders for the AFC East crown. I think the Dolphins would have something to say about, say about that as well. But that that's going to be a big day no matter what. You add Aaron Rodgers into the mix and it's a goddamn powder keg. And this is why everybody's chasing the cloud of Aaron Rodgers. You know, the famous Migos, uh, the great Migos, generational storytellers of our time, once said, they'll do anything for clout. They'll do anything for clout. That's basically what we're talking about here in the next... I don't know how long we'll go. I never know. I, I, I hate to put limits on it because sometimes you're going to get, you know, five to 10 minutes out of your boy. Sometimes you'll get 20 and it's like all of a sudden it's 25 minutes in and we've only done one topic. That happens far too often. More so than it has in years past. I don't know if it's like a thousand hours Malcolm Gladwell shit where I've just done this for so long that it, it, it can just keep going, right? And it's, it, it's like one big freestyle. But anyways, 
Uh, here are the Aaron Rodgers Clout Chaser Awards for the month of August. I don't know if this is going to be a monthly segment or not, but here we go. Bronze medal goes to the David Bakhtiari rumor. If we had to give an award, I guess, out to an individual, uh, we Armando Segundo or Solendo. I probably butchered his last name. He works for Outkick, formerly of the uh, Palm Beach Post, uh, as well as uh, Mike Greenberg. We'll, we'll put those as our bronze medalists for the David Bakhtiari rumor. Mike Greenberg sort of started this uh, over on Friday begging for David Bakhtiari to come be a to come be a New York Jet for the Jets to trade for David Bakhtiari. Now Mike Greenberg stated that this is him, the Jets fan, talking, not necessarily the analyst. And I, I have a major problem with that because he's on one of the biggest shows, you know, in terms of sports media. And we talked about that with the Colin Coward thing about make calling Jordan Love a game manager. Like that's the type of rot that gets into people's head. A lot of people see that. And a lot of people start to run with it. Now, Armando on Outkick said that there have been some conversations around, you know, the Jets and David Bakhtiari. Now, no one's probably told the Green Bay Packers that they're having these conversations. I think the Jets want it to be known that, yeah, we have interest. He's on our radar. I think the Jets know if they have an offensive line problem that David Bakhtiari would seem to be a seamless solution considering his relationship with Aaron Rodgers and the fact that David Bakhtiari is one of the best left tackles in football when healthy. I realize that is a big qualifier, but Bakhtiari showed himself that in the second half of the year. Now, the cap makes no sense to trade David Bakhtiari. The Packers have basically done it in a way where David Bakhtiari could be expendable next year. It's still a pretty hefty contract. You still have to eat some dead cap if they were to release him next year, if they were to trade him next year, but it sets them up better the following year than this year. They are not going to just give up David Bakhtiari for free. Even if the Jets say, hey, we'll drop the 65%. You'll just get the first round pick no matter what. And then we'll give you a first next year or we'll give you a second next year. It would have to be an absolute knockout, drag out type trade for Green Bay to do it. It's highly unrealistic. Just because everybody wants to see the Jets succeed with Aaron Rodgers doesn't mean that the Packers are going to hand over Bakhtiari. This is not NBA 2K where the trade sliders are off, okay? Like there has to be a deal here and it has to make sense for the Green Bay Packers. The only way that I can see David Bakhtiari potentially getting traded is if Bakhtiari, it's, he's playing well, there are no injuries, and the Packers are two and six during the trade deadline. And they're not playing good football. And they are struggling. And this is not necessarily the season that Jordan loved hope for, that a lot of te- the Packers hope for, and that the Packers do a soft tank. I think there are other guys that they would probably move. It wouldn't just be Bakhtiari. And they would try to get up near the top 10 of the, of the draft and maybe draft another quarterback and try to do it all over again. That's where you would trade David Bakhtiari. That's where you would ask for the 65% to be taken off. And remember, the Packers, the Jets have to talk to the Packers if they want to do any sort of deal at the deadline, whether it's for Bakhtiari, whether it's for Devontae Adams. The Packers hold the Jets' cards because of the conditions 
that are currently placed on the Rodgers deal and that those those conditions will not be solved before the trade deadline. So therein lies a problem for the Jets and it would make it easier for the Jets to do another deal with the Packers to get a guy like Bakhtiari versus, you know, trying to do a deal with the Raiders to get Devontae Adams because they're going to, you know, it's a two-way street and the Packers could easily say no and hurt the Jets because if they're like, all right, well, we'll convert it to a first-round pick. Well, if Devontae Adams nets you a Super Bowl and if he doesn't, it nets you just a playoff appearance, that's the difference of eight spots. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like that is a lot right there. And so I, I do think that Green Bay is going to make the Jets' life a living hell if they want Bakhtiari and if Bakhtiari is on the table, if the Packers do struggle. So to go back to the clout chasing, anyone who mentions a Bakhtiari rumor is absolutely full of fucking shit. Matt Scheinman of The Athletic pointed out in his column today that there is no way that people need to get real with it. If a guy who has the boots on the ground, who's as plugged in as anybody, is telling you there's no way, not even giving, you know, sort of a out, like, yeah, maybe, there's nothing there. He absolutely shuts the door on it. And it's absolute, and you don't really see that, I think, with journalists these days. Journalists are kind of guarded. They they don't want to get old takes exposed, which is one of the more played out terms that we have in society right now. But I I think that Schneidman being so pointed and so direct of like, hey, this isn't fucking happening. Shut up. Like that, that's enough for me. And I think the numbers bear it out too. And so anyone who's really going to start a Bakhtiari rumor is clout chasing. And that's where our silver medalist goes in. And it's Kurt Benkert. Kurt Benkert, pardon me, the former Packers quarterback who's now trying to make it in media. Kurt seems like a good dude. All right. Kurt seems like a very good dude. Uh, and he seems like a thoughtful guy. He's a guy that he believes that he can be a media. I don't usually, we don't usually see backup quarterbacks essentially get to that prominent media role because in all due respect to Kurt Benkert, no one knows who the fuck he is, okay? People know him online. People know him on Twitter. People know him on Instagram. People know him on TikTok. They don't know him anywhere else. My dad probably doesn't remember who Kurt Benkert is. Like I'm going golf with him today. I could ask him. I don't think he knows who he is, okay? And so if he's going to want to get that Q score up, he's going to obviously have to do a ton of media and you're going to have to say things that maybe you don't, don't know, you don't necessarily agree with, but you say them to get yourself popular. We could call it the Kendrick Perkins route. We could call it the Greg Jennings route because this is what's worked in today's media, which is gross, but it's like if you say something that is so outlandish and you keep saying these outlandish things, people are gonna wanna have you on because they can clip it for social media and then go viral on what you said and they can ride your coattails. That is what they want. And so Ben Kerr was on with Kay Adams and said to her that basically he could see a Bakhtiari Rogers reunion. And because there's a relationship with Rogers as well as I think Bakhtiari, like, Ben Curry obviously has a little more stake in the game. And so everyone just started to be like, oh my God, like this is possible. Kay Adams is getting all excited, uh, which everybody calm yourself down. Don't, you know, self-bonk, okay? Chill out. Uh, and but like, 
that to me is, is just so clout chasey because Ben Kurt knows what he's doing. He knows that he has now booked himself another K. Adams appearance. Like he knows he will find his way on Up and Adams yet again because he said something that was social media worthy, that was around Aaron Rodgers, and you can just use that. And then if he keeps doing that, he's gonna keep finding his way there. And maybe somebody on McAfee's show sees him. They they say, oh, let's bring him on. One of the local radio stations here is like, oh, we should talk to Kurt Benger. He's been saying some crazy shit on, on Kay Adams' show. Like, I, I just, I do not like that method. I feel bad. I, I don't, I don't know if it's Kurt's intention. Like he, he replied to the tweet and then said something like, don't hate me Packer fans. It's like, okay, like, here's the thing. If, if you don't want Packer fans to hate you for this commentary, then why even propose the hypothetical? Why even wonder about it? You don't fucking know. You're not on there. You're, you don't have boots on the ground. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you could talk about, well, yeah, they're close. And, you know, if Green Bay were to release him, I don't really know the contracts. Yeah, the Jets are probably the first call that is made if they know Bakhtiari is a free agent. Or the Jets are the first to call would probably be the proper way to say it. Like, that would have been way more appropriate than what he said basically floating out a baseless rumor that has no fact. And it's just to get you another appearance across from Kay Adams. That's it, right? And so that, that shit just drives me crazy. It really, really does. And, and, it, and it's crazy that this is the silver award winner. You think after, you know, how passionate I am here that, I, that there isn't something that could possibly happen where I'd be like, all right, there's a gold medal in Aaron Rout clout chasing. But Ben Bruss came to training camp wearing an Aaron Rodgers jersey in Green Bay and did not exactly go, I think, the way Ben Bruss wanted to. Let's get into that. Ben Bruss, former Badger basketball player. He has a show with Greg Scalzo, Scalzo and Bruss, in the afternoons. I think I've mentioned before, but I, I really enjoy the program. I think that Scalzo and Bruss is the, really the only millennial option in terms of terrestrial radio. I think a lot of people obviously you know, listen to podcasts. That's why you see a lot of millennials doing podcasts and not necessarily doing radio. I do think that to bring people back to radio using, you know, people who have podcasts or that are the same age range helps for relatability. I think it's hard to relate to these old guys who are just bitching about the youth, whether it be Steve Zabin, whether it be Drew Wilson, you get the picture. Uh, it, it just doesn't work. So that's why I like Scouts on Bros because it's kind of a, it's a breath of fresh air. It really is. That said, what Ben Bruss did yesterday was as clout chasey as humanly fucking possible. He went to Packers training camp and wore an Aaron Rodgers jersey, not an Aaron Rodgers Packers jersey, an Aaron Rodgers Jets jersey. He walked up into the stands and held his hands out, expecting to get booed like a heel, like Ric Flair, you know, entering the ring. And he got maybe two boos. Maybe two people, and I don't know, maybe he paid them. Maybe those were staged. Maybe those were plants. But no one really gave a fuck that he was wearing a Aaron Rodgers jersey. No one gave a damn. Now, the social media post was craftily written like, 
oh, the booze rained down. Like, nobody actually cared. No one gave a shit. And then he got absolutely flamed in the comments, in the quote tweets, everything else. Then after the fact, he doubled down on it and got Matt LaFleur to sign his Aaron Rodgers jersey. And now ESPN Milwaukee is trying to go viral. They sent it out to Greenberg. They sent it out to Stugatz, uh, who's not currently doing ESPN stuff, but he's doing, uh, you know, they have their own thing with Levitard. But they're, they're trying to get as much media buzz around this. And I'm giving them credit. They made the Journal Sentinel. Uh, you know, Journal Sentinel, I think, has done a kind of a thing where they always, they try to capitalize on social media stuff. J.R. Ratcliffe does a really good job in terms of capturing that thing. It's almost like blog-esque, if you will. Uh, so it's not surprising, right? So they've picked up some butts. They've picked up some attention. But where I think this all goes wrong is this is something that I would expect from your 90s shock jock, your Howard Stearns of the world, right? That's what I would expect. I'd expect them to do it because they are just the perpetual shit stores. They are the ones who are just trying to get the people going, but they also don't give a shit about the Green Bay Packer fans and they, they don't really listen to these shock jocks. So they can kind of alienate the fan base a little bit by doing this and, you know, it's, it becomes a thing and whatever, but it, it, it's not probably going to hurt in terms of ratings, in terms of notoriety. But for Ben Bruss, he's talking to Packer fans every day. And if he wants to be this Rogers guy for the entire year, that's fine and dandy. But it, it's not necessarily the best way to endear Packer fans. And yeah, it'll get the people going and whatnot. But at some point, they'll, they'll just be sick of it and say, we're not going to take the bait. At some point, you're just so blatantly transparent about it that it, it doesn't work. I can't remember, and God, it was a long time ago. But I don't really remember a radio host taking the side of Favre. They, they could have said, oh, well... You know, they could have had Favre and maybe they were ultra critical of Rodgers, but it seemed like everybody was kind of on board with what the Packers decided. So this is kind of an about face of what we've seen with local media. So it's kind of changing the game. So I, I guess I do have to give Ben Brust a little bit of credit for that, for going somewhere that a lot of the local media hasn't. That said, I still think it was an extremely try-hard move to ask for booze, not get those booze, and then get Matt LaFleur to sign your jersey. So then your relationship with Matt LaFleur is fucking weird now. So it's like, how do you book Matt LaFleur? He's obviously going to probably tell Packers PR about it, or Packers PR will catch wind on it. Will they want to do work with, with Scalzo and Bruss? How does that affect you know what they do on other programs? I don't know. Uh, maybe not, maybe it will, but it's just, I, I just think it's like, I appreciate the idea. I just don't know if the execution is there. It's like the Josh Hader trade, right? It's like the Josh Hader trade made sense. The execution of it absolutely fucking sucked. And that's kind of where I think we are here. Like, I think there would be an okay route to be a Rogers heel. I think what would be better if I were, if I was bad, and I again, got a lot of attention. So maybe I, maybe I'm wrong here. 
but wearing it to tailgates, just showing up in a Rogers jersey and just talking about and seeing what the reaction is from all the fans. Like, how does it make you feel to see him in that Rogers Jets jersey? You see all those man on the street videos. Those man on the street videos fucking kill. They do well. But it's on a Saturday night. And heaven forbid, you know, these local radio put in the work to do it on a Saturday night and grind and, and you know, do something a little bit outside the box on non-working hours. Heaven forbid, right? So I, I do credit him for thinking about it. I just, I think it was way too tryhardy and the gold medal winner for the Aaron Rodgers clout chasing awards. All right, let's move on. We'll actually stay with football, but we'll actually talk about football uh, with the Green Bay Packers and their joint practice that they had with the New England Patriots. Uh, good to have the Patriots in town. Ezekiel Elliott, uh, his first practice as a New England Patriot. Uh, but that really was the headline in terms of the Packer perspective, right? The big one, obviously, everyone wants to see how Jordan Love does. Jordan Love is going to be a topic almost every day. Uh, it will be hard-pressed to find days where we're not at least talking a little bit about Jordan Love. And it seemed like from what I've read from the beat writers and the tweets that he did all right against a very tough Patriots defense. He found three different touchdowns. The remarks seemed pretty solid for what happened. There was there were some messy moments, but it, it didn't look like an all-out disaster, right? It wasn't, you know, what happened with the Jets against Carolina to bring the Jets back in the conversation where there were a bunch of sacks. I think that also happened with Tampa Bay today. Uh, none of that occurred. Uh, it, there were multiple interceptions. There wasn't, you know, a lot of things that went off the rails for Jordan Love. Uh, and the offensive line held in there well uh, without David Bakhtiari. So that's that's really good. And I think as long as Love can continue to have those moments, right? He'd have those plays, whether it was the Watson 75-yard bomb, and it seems like they're going to hit a bomb at least once a game or try to hit a bomb once a game. Like When those things keep happening, they build your confidence. And Jordan Love had a really good practice on Sunday uh, after, you know, their first game against the Bengals. And I, I think as long as Love is putting together good practices and doing these things against other teams, I think that you're going to continue to see, you know, the progression and the confidence of Jordan Love grow. And that's that's really important for Green Bay. And it's, it's really vital for how they succeed in September. I know regular season's an entirely different ballgame but it's at least a positive start. They are rowing in the right direction with Jordan Love. Luke Musgrave ran an end round as a tight end. Uh, the guy is a complete freak. I am absolutely in love. Like, I thought that I'd be on Tucker Craft Island. Um, I've rowed my boat over to Luke Musgrave Island. Uh, the guy is just an absolute beast. He is going to go very early in all your fantasy leagues if you're a Packer fan or you're drafting with Packer fans because everybody's going to want a piece of Luke Musgrave. Uh, rookie tight ends have not always been, you know, a bona fide star right off the right out the gates. It usually takes some time, but it seems like Musgrave is going to be ready to go day one. It's it from what you read. He should have been a first round pick. He got hurt. He wasn't. The Packers reaped the benefits of that. And they have a real star in the middle of the field. And that makes Jordan Love's job so much easier. And it also makes Packers really difficult to defend. And I will say that one of my takes this month that I was probably the most wrong about was 
saying they needed a veteran. Now, this was pre-Tyler Davis injury, so I did say after, well, they probably need a replacement, and I think they do. I think going into the season with just Musgrave, Kraft, and Austin Allen is not exactly my cup of tea, but it might be for the Packers. But what I said was, you know, oh, they need a veteran. Like, we can't rely on rookies. No, we can rely on Luke Musgrave. He he gets it, man, and he, he's ready to go. And I think the things he can do on the football field are very exciting. And if he can kind of carry the ball, it's like, why not put him as an H-back? Why not line him up in the backfield? Could he line up, you know, with Aaron Jones back there and you just flare out him and let him sort of all start his way, you know, to a first down? I, I think when you can do so much with the tight end position, it opens up everything else in the offense. And Packers haven't had that in a very long time. They haven't had the athleticism Musgrave maybe ever at the tight end position. Jermichael Finley is the closest thing. But J-Mike, you know, J-Mike had a lot of development. It took J-Mike a while. And J-Mike never actually got to where he, he could have been, right? I know injuries slowed him down, but also he, you know, had a 10-cent brain. Uh, and that was part of it too. And so I, I think that there is a chance that Musgrave can be really special for this team. And I'll, I'll say it. I might, I might take a gander at his rookie of the year odds. I might just, I might just look. I might just see where, where it is. Just, just see, I, what would it take for a tight end to win rookie of the year? So, I think number one. Now, this is big time overreaction. I will, I will fully admit that. Now, I'm like opposite end of the spectrum from they need a veteran tight end. Uh, I think you would need to first of all, the quarterbacks would all need to suck. Right, you need Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, all to be bad. You you just need that. So you, that's number one. Uh, then number two, you would probably need none of the wide receivers to be that dynamic, and you need the Packers to be a playoff team, and you need Musgrave to put up like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews numbers in the first first season. So that those would kind of be the winning combinations. That would probably get the job done, but that's a lot of hoops to jump through. That said, I mean, it might be worth a taste. Now, this could be back to our Brooke Lopez thing. If you remember that, I was like, oh, it's interesting. Brooke Lopez is 250 to one for defensive player of the year. And I didn't place anything on it. And then he was getting talked about for it. And it was like my worst nightmare because it would have been, again, it's just $1 and when you're 250, you know, that's crazy. So anyways, uh, yeah, Musgrave, I, I'm all on board. I, I cannot be more on the bandwagon. Malik Keith is making a push for the 53 man. I feel like we every year you have that receiver that has this sort of ascension. You know, Samari Torrey, I feel like was last year. And this year is Malik Keith. And Malik Keith keeps making plays. Uh, as pointed out kind of by Tom Silverstein, he has an Alan Lazard kind of body, right? Very good blocker, fearless over the middle, not too fast, just kind of gets the job done. And I think there is definitely a, a role or route where the Packers keep six wide receivers. I, I don't see why not. I think with all the youth they have, and if you want to keep the youth movement, and I've warmed up to that idea, why not keep six wide receivers just to make sure that you have bodies, either if you have injuries or if you just need to see what you have, right? If, you know, Watson and Dobbs are struggling, hopefully never, but, or Jaden Reed, just the NFL game speed's a little too fast. And it's like, all right, 
also too, if you need blockers, right? If you need more blockers because you don't have the blocking tight ends right now, like to me that those are all things that bring me to Malik Heath getting, you know, a potential roster spot. And I think, I think it's, it's trending in the right direction, right? Uh, I, I think that's something that Green Bay has to think about. Uh, I would hate to see that guy go somewhere else. You know, he's an SEC wide receiver. He's played there. He was part, you know, that on that Ole Miss team with Jonathan Mingo, a guy that a lot of Packer fans liked. So can Malik Heath break through? I think this is a massive preseason game for him on Saturday. Injuries are mounting defensively a little bit. Uh, Kenny Clark's been out with a black back injury. Uh, Devondre Campbell had an ankle injury. Jair had a groin injury. Now Jair did participate in some of the practices. It's probably okay, but it's a little worrisome. It's just a bit, right? We are under a month from football. I think we're we'd be three weeks away today. So and we're still getting we're having a lot of injuries here defensively. That to me is where the Packers need to be the healthiest. They need to bring full guns ablazing at least for one game. Can we get at least one or two games where they're fully healthy defensively? Just please. That would that would be great. So hopefully it's just nicks and cuts and it's training camp and these guys either don't want to practice or they've just they're sick of it. And let's just hope that it's not anything long term with any of those guys because those are all vital parts to what Green Bay does defensively. Uh, Tavarius Moore got the start at free safety. Sounds like he did all right. Uh, it seems like the Packers don't have an answer right now for free safety. Uh, it's just a rotating group cast of characters, whether it's Jonathan Owens, whether it's Tavarius Moore, uh, Dalen Levitt, which I really don't want, uh, Rudy Ford. Uh, I, if it's Dalen Levitt to start the season, like that might be worse than Chris Conte. Uh, we, we just can't have that. Uh, but I guess more looked good today. Uh, so hopefully, you know, that will continue. I think that's another thing to keep an eye on in uh, game number two for the Packers. And we'll we'll talk about things to watch for, things to pay attention to on tomorrow's Tapping the Keg program. Wrapping up today's show with the disaster that has been the Milwaukee Brewers against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Milwaukee came into LA and ran into a fucking chainsaw. The chainsaw that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. I did not realize when they came in, when the Brewers were in this series, and maybe I should have been better about this when we talked about it on Monday, we talked about it on Tuesday, that they had won eight straight games. They've now won 10 straight games and they are dialed in. Uh, they are absolutely playing on another stratosphere. And that's what I mean when they've ran into a chainsaw. It's real. I don't think anybody is beating this team right now. Now, can that change in three weeks? Sure. Can that change next week? Maybe. But like the Dodgers are just, you know, on another stratosphere. And that's really hard to compete with. And it feels like you're playing the old Tony Lewis Cardinals, where you can't do anything right and they do everything right, if that makes sense. Like they lost seven to one today. I don't really think they play that bad. They hit the ball at everybody right? And, and what can you do? They hit it hard, but it ended up in a catch, a mitt. Like the perfect example of this is Sal Freelich. I think it was the fourth inning. Brewers got runners on first and second, no outs against Kershaw. Freelich lashes one that should be down the line for a double. Brewers maybe score two. And I think they would be, then it would be a three, three game. Instead, it's right to Freddie Freeman and it's two outs and the inning is over. That was the Brewers night 
all fucking night long. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And then the Dodgers get up and, oh yeah, bloop single here, bloop single there. Uh, somehow, some way, every ball finds a way home and the Brewers are, you know, in lining in the outs. Like, it's just not fair. And I realized that that happens in baseball, but it just felt so personal <laughs> in a weird way. Uh, man, and, you know, the catcher's interference stuff was bullshit. Like, J.D. Martinez should not be allowed to stand that far back in the box. Like, that needs to be changed. At some point, that's going to be a big issue. I, I will stake my, my flag on that take. Imagine if that happened in, like, the NLCS and J.D. Martinez gets a catcher's interference uh, call, you know, that goes his way and the Dodgers win because of that. People will lose their minds. Uh, and that's just like, J.D. Martinez doesn't need that. And But that is the type of thing that you need to be perfect against this team. And I said that on Monday. And not that I expect the Brewers to be tuned in and listening, but no one listened to me. You know, Andrew Monasterio has the error on Monday's, Monday's game. And if that error doesn't happen, who knows? Who knows what happens that baseball game? That floodgate opened and it's like you give the Dodgers an inch and they are going to take a mile every fucking time. And that's the part that I don't know if the Brewers can fix that, right? Like, I, I feel like when it spirals, it, it just spirals. There's not a way to bring it back in. And maybe it's partly due to the young team. You know, Joey Weimer drops the ball out in the outfield that, again, should have been an out. I think that was the third out. Yeah, I think it was the third out. Brewers still would have been down four to one at that point. They still would have had some, you know, chance for for life later in the game. And Weimer drops it. Everything falls to shit. The Brewers then are down six to one before you know it. And that that's just the stuff against the Dodgers you can't do. And this hopefully is a humbling experience for the Brewers. I know after the Atlanta series, they got rid of the cheese head because they're like, oh, this is fucking weird. We got swept and we have this cheese head. This isn't what, you know, division leaders do. And now what are you going to say after the Dodgers, right? What are, what's sort of the takeaway now? Is it that we need to change our alignments a little bit? We need to see what they do in terms of how they align at Dodger Stadium. Is it that they need to see what this team looks like against the top pitchers on the team? I, I said it, you know, on Monday, and it, it rings true. The Brewers got screwed again in terms of who's the, who's pitching. If it was Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, I th you would feel a lot differently about this series. But because only Burns is pitching tonight, I, I have a little bit harder time just being completely doom and gloom about it. I, I, I want to see this team with A, a full roster, you know, and let's let's just be honest here. The Dodgers have so much more fucking pressure on them in the postseason than the Milwaukee Brewers do. And I, I think that matters. And I know that's qualitative. I know that we can't necessarily put a price tag on that, if you will. But I, I look at what the Dodgers have done in the postseason, and it hasn't been that successful. Yes, they didn't win the 2020 World Series, 
But I think at, by all accounts, including myself, it's a Mickey Mouse title. It's the biggest of biggest Mickey Mouse titles because it was a 60-game season. And they were able to get it. They, they should have never had a season in COVID. Uh, it's just it screws everything up. And yes, the Dodgers did win that series. So they do have a World Series recently. But I do think that there is this you know goal to get one that's a full 162 and, and do it sort of that way. And the pressure will ramp up on them. You know, if we're talking pressure rankings, I feel like the only team that would have less pressure on them in the postseason would be maybe the Cincinnati Reds, just because they're so young. I could say the Cubs too, but maybe not, because who knows? This is so unexpected for the Cubs. You know, maybe it is a little bit of pressure because you gotta show like, all right, we gotta keep this together. We gotta keep spending. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. So basically what I'm trying to say is don't take this series too hard. Like don't, don't be too hard on yourself. I know I was upset about it. I know that I have frustrations. It's okay to be mad, but it's also okay to tell, you gotta remind yourself on the other stuff. You gotta, you gotta take the good with the bad, right? You, you put out a lot of bad, then you gotta put in the good, the things we talked about, more pressure in October, the pitching rotation is not set. Like the young guys are going to learn from this and they learn from that Atlanta series. That Atlanta series did not send them. It, well, it did a little bit. I was going to say it did send them into a tailspin, but then they, they did struggle that following week. And I, I think that is the bigger thing. I think there are two things that are really big. Number one is Corbin Burns needs to pitch like an ace, right? I think Corbin Burns needs to deliver. He needs to shove. If the Brewers still lose two to one, that, that's on them because it's Lance Lynn. And Lance Lynn has been better with the uh, Dodgers, but he's not, he's not great. I think I told the Lance Lynn story uh, in the past. I, I, I believe, say with Mitch, I, I definitely told a Lance Lynn story, but for the real ones that know, it's Lance Lynn. Uh, so that, that's an inside joke to like maybe four people that might be listening. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, well, hopefully they could, you know, do well against Tubbers tonight. Uh, Lance Lynn has not missed many meals in his day. That's probably, probably a good thing that he's in LA now. Like he's probably just eating sweet green all the time. Goop kitchen, you know, that, that's what he's taking care of. He's not, he's not eating that steak and shake that he was at in Chicago or the deep dish, you know. Lance Lynn's body was probably 20% deep dish when he was in Chicago. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle with him and Corbin Burns tonight. Lynn has pitched better uh, of late, but let's, let's hope maybe the Brewers can jump on him and get, get good vibes heading into the Texas series. And if they get one, I, I'll be okay with this series. I, I really will because then you're four and two on this road trip. You're headed to Texas, Texas again, not easy. You're going to see Scherzer on Sunday. I think Dane Dunning on Saturday. I don't know who's, oh, Haney. So yeah, you, it's not an easy weekend by any means, but like at least you got one. And if you can get one more, you have a above 500 road trip. Like that's great. And, and you, you winning only one game against, or two games against the Dodgers and Rangers, a little bit of loser talk, but at least you get something. At least you get a little bit of positive momentum. They've been also really bad at Dodger Stadium. That's to me, I think the scarier thing is like, if you can't win there, that's, that's a problem. Uh, and you've now, you're now 0-5 at Dodger Stadium and Truist Park, which is where the Braves play. 
Like that's that's not going to get it done, especially when you have to play them for the first two games of a five-game series. Uh, Braves would be a seven-game because it'd be NLCS if the playoffs held today. And then the last part, you know, the cherry on top of this all is the Reds and Cubs. Cubs went on a crazy walk-off, as my guys from Divine Sports Gospel pointed out with Christopher Morell's reaction. Did they win the World Series or just beat a very lowly White Sox team? Uh, who's who's the say? Uh, who's to say, really? Uh, but yeah, that that hurts too because now you're only two and a half back of the Cubs and the Reds. But this is this is baseball, man. This is how it's going to go for the rest of the year. So you're just going to have to embrace it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to have the keg. I have a fun segment. I'm very excited for it. Wells Talk Brewers, probably talk a little Packers too. Uh, so get ready for all of that tomorrow. We will see you then. Uh, Mitch and I back in the saddle on Friday, not on Thursday, back on this Tabby the Keg Daily. On Monday, uh, we'll talk Packer overreactions, see what happens with the rest of the Brewers uh, road trip, and who knows what else? Uh, who knows if anything else comes across the wire? Oh, maybe a little Giannis uh, continued Saudi Arabia flirtation. Not great. No, don't like that. Uh, but we, maybe we'll talk about that on Monday's show. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a good one. See you. Bye.